Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. I've been with some tribes, for instance, on Borneo. I've been with some tribes also in the middle of the Amazon. They actually have had relatively little contact with people from Western countries. What I've really seen is that people are so much more authentic, so much more genuine, so much more in touch with themselves, with nature, with others. Whereas in the West, we are so disconnected. Punk is actually about authenticity. It's about doing what's meaningful. Their lives was already full of purpose and meaning without first needing all those luxury and materialistic things that we think that we need in the West. Dr. Joel Voss is a psychologist and philosopher. He does research, teaches, and offers psychological therapy to help individuals live a meaningful and satisfying life, even in life's most challenging moments. He leads a professional doctorate in existential psychotherapy and counseling at the London New School of Psychotherapy and Counseling. The research group that he chairs at the Metanoia Institute in London focuses at developing psychological interventions to help people live a meaningful life, particularly in challenging life circumstances such as cancer, cardiovascular disease, and socioeconomic disenfranchisement. Joel has conducted worldwide reviews of research on meaning, which he has summarized in his book, Meaning in Life, an evidence-based handbook for practitioners. His reviews have, for instance, shown how people all over the world experience meaning, different types of meaning, cope with life's limitations, and how they can be helped by professionals. His main conclusion, based on over 80 clinical trials, is that people can be effectively helped to live a meaningful and satisfying life when practitioners systematically and explicitly address what they experience as meaningful. Joel has over 80 scientific publications and has given hundreds of lectures and workshops worldwide. During the British Mental Health Awareness Week in 2019, his book Mental Health in Crisis, written together with Ron Roberts and James Davies, will be released which describes that in our modern Western countries, we experience one of the largest crises ever seen in mental health, where problems are often caused by socioeconomic circumstances which limit people to living a meaningful life. While the mental health care system seems to structurally fail due to a focus on short, superficial interventions which do not address what is truly meaningful people. Bill's next book, The Economics of Meaning in Life, will further explore how mental health problems are caused by the capitalist life syndrome, that is, the functionalist focus in our current economy on materialist, hedonistic, and self-oriented types of meaning. Joel is chair of the IMEC, International Meaning Conferences in London, and the next one will be held July 12th and 14th of 2019. With an amazing lineup of speakers all over the world, crossing disciplines such as psychology, psychotherapy, sociology, politics, economics, art, and poetry. Joel is also the director of Meaning Online, an online platform with resources on meaning and purpose, and is the organizer of the London charity Punk for Mental Health, which raises awareness for mental health via music, art, lectures, and workshops for the broad audience. So on today's episode, I am excited to welcome today's person of purpose, Dr. Joel Voss. Hello, Joel. Thanks you for joining us so much on the People of Purpose podcast today. I'm so grateful to have you here. 
Thank you very much. I'm very happy that I can be part of this. All the way in the UK, in London, coming from San Francisco, it's really cool the power of the internet now to connect people of purpose together like this. Absolutely. So I wanted to just start off with, with the core topic that, that I know you spent a lot of your life focusing on, researching, lecturing on is why is mental health in such a crisis right now? And why is this so important that we overcome in order to find our purpose? Yeah, so the thing is, at this moment, what we see in a lot of the, in, uh, in actually many Western countries, there's one of the biggest crises in mental health that we have ever seen. That means that between one third or even half of all people will, during their lifetime, really suffer from some very serious uh, psychological problems. What you really see is that the reason why people actually suffer from a lot of those mental health issues, it often has to do with their life situation. Because in our current life situation, we're often so busy and we are so focused on our job, we're very focused on getting more material wealth, etc. However, at the same time, it seems that people find it quite difficult to live a meaningful life, or to be more specific, to live a life that they feel as meaningful. And that fact that we live in such a society where at this moment it can be quite tricky to live a meaningful life, that is actually creating a lot of stress in people and a lot of sadness and a lot of feeling that they're not yeah, getting the most out of their life. So that their life satisfaction is actually unfortunately quite low. So what is it that you think is creating a barrier? Like, is it something systemic about the way society is kind of structured right now? Or what is it that's making it so hard for people to achieve a meaningful life just on a daily basis? Yeah, so on the first hand, there are many practical issues that makes it quite difficult to really do what's meaningful for people. The thing is that particularly here in the United Kingdom, but I also think in the United States, there's a very big socioeconomic inequality. Mm -hmm. So that means that people uh, who have a lot of wealth, they have much more freedom in some sense to really do what they find meaningful. Although at the same time, they also suffer from a lot of problems when they have too much wealth, because then it's often too difficult to really see what's most important in their lives. Mm -hmm. But for many people, more ordinary people like you and me, what is often more difficult is actually, yeah, the thing is we need to work. We have, and we have only, we only have 24 hours in a day where a lot of the time is going to work. It's going to paying taxes. It's going to do all our duties, etc. So, in the first place, already our life is very busy. But we also see that is a lot of problems nowadays with falling social mobility, but also people becoming actually poorer and actually where the benefits that people are on in, here in the United Kingdom, uh, that is also really falling. And in the United States, that we, we know a lot about a lot of the uh, homelessness crisis uh, and things like that. And how difficult it is if you have had some very bad fate in life that can be really struggling. So this is the first bit where there are very many practical circumstances which make it very difficult to live life to the full. However, on the other hand, there's also another issue. And that is what I often call, it's like a capitalist life syndrome. And by the term, by the capitalist life syndrome, what I mean by that is that people focus very much on capitalistic type of values. So that's often that people focus very much on materialistic goals, on hedonistic goals, things about themselves. And yes, that can give some satisfaction on the short term when you buy the latest uh, iPhone or a Samsung or I don't know what. Right. That can be fun, absolutely. But that doesn't give that very deep satisfaction, that deep sense of meaning, that deep 
fulfillment. So we live in a culture where we are, we are being stimulated all the time to really focus on those material yeah, things, to try to find meaning in that. Right. So for instance, if we have like 4,000 commercials and logos that we see every day, 4,000, yeah, of course, we start to think that that is how we should live our lives, whereas obviously there's much more than that. Yeah, I, I, a lot of that really speaks to me too. Like, even though I am someone I consider to be a, per, a purposeful person, I'm really after meaning and purpose every day in life. When you go down this path of like needing to do your daily duties, needing to keep up to the people next to you, worrying about how you're looking, your self-image, you accumulate these things as you stay in a place longer. You feel like you've invested in certain things, so you have to be committed to that. And it really prevents you from just getting back to that pure state, that beginning state of like, this is why I'm doing this. Back to like the intentionality piece. Precisely. And, and that is actually one of the problems is really going back to ourselves and going back to why am I doing this? And going back to the question whether this is truly meaningful for yourself. And this is also why I call this, it's a kind of a capitalist life syndrome. And I've used this term as a reflection or as a kind of copy from the Stockholm syndrome. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So the Stockholm syndrome that was actually in Stockholm where, where some people were actually hijacked in a bank. And however, what happened is that people who were hijacked, they started to identify themselves with the hostage takers and they started to defend them. Right. In a similar way, this is also what we mm. do. We live our lives in such a way that may not be totally meaningful for us. And we are just in all our routines. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we also defend it and we identify with this lifestyle we identify with all the social media profile that we're trying to create of ourselves we identify ourselves with it even though it may not be the best for mm -hmm. us and it may not be coming from the most meaningful place for ourselves and that's why i call this it's kind of a hijack where we start to identify ourselves with the system with the culture that we live in so how does the work that you do try to disrupt that that false identification so what I do um, is actually on different levels that I'm doing this. I dare to say that this is almost like one of my own purposes in life to really help people go back to yeah, what, what's purposeful for yourself, to really go back to that. In the first place, I do that as yeah, in a lot of my own research, uh, in my lectures and also in the therapy that I give to people. And what a lot of my research is about is that I'm exploring what's really going on in society so at this moment i'm writing a book about the economics of meaning in life and which precisely describes this this kind of capitalist life syndrome and i'm also developing questionnaires for this surf big surveys etc one of the main things that i've been doing is i've been reviewing a lot of the literature and looking at how internationally people have been experiencing meaning in all different ways and when you start to have this international perspective, then you start to see how actually limited our sense of meaning is in a lot of the Western countries. What do you mean by that? Like when you have an international perspective, like is it an expanded mind or like a different perception that your mind is like oriented towards? What is it? Yeah, so I've done this one study uh, where I looked at 109 other studies. So that was like review. And I, I looked at 109 studies that were done anywhere in the world in all different places. And in those studies, people were asked what's meaningful or purposeful or valuable for you in life. Mm -hmm. And I summarized what people were saying. 
And then I also looked at in which countries did people particularly say certain things. So I found out that people who live in more capitalist countries like the US or the UK, people focus more on materialistic, hedonistic and self-oriented types of meanings. Mm -hmm. Whereas people who live in less capitalistic type of countries and more collectivist type of countries, for instance in Southeast Asia or Africa or Southern America, people focus more on social types of meanings and on larger mm. types of meanings. And these are things that is more, much more about a sense of belonging, community, helping others, altruism, religion, but also really having a bigger purpose in life, seeing, well, of something really contribute, something that, something very unique, something very special that I can do with my life. I know exactly what you're talking about, yeah. I, uh, I spent two years living in Thailand, and in Thailand I felt the same sort of thing you just mentioned, that people have a, they carry around such an open generosity to help others. There's like a feeling that you're part of a greater whole there. You, uh, there's so much more isolation individualism in our culture. Absolutely. It feels like so much healthier on your mental health, like, or at least for me, to be in, in, in spaces in Thailand where you don't really have to be so concerned about the individual things as much as just how am I doing my part to be a part of the group right now? What can I do to build into the lives of those around me? Yeah, it's a cool mindset to carry around. And, and this also, this is some of my most valuable experiences that I've had actually myself in my life. The thing is, I've also been in really many places in the world which are quite far away from any Western civilization or mm -hmm. what we call civilization. Because I wonder whether we should call ourselves civilization anymore, but that's not our issue. <laughs> but when I go, for instance, I've been with some tribes, for instance, on Borneo. I've been with some tribes also in the middle of the Amazon. They actually have had relatively little contact with people from western countries what i've really seen is that people are so much more authentic so more so much more genuine so much more in touch with themselves with nature with others whereas in the west we are so disconnected from ourselves and from each other and it's so artificial what we are doing mm -hmm. and then indeed what you see is that people who do not live in capitalist countries their lifestyle ability to live a more meaningful life in this way actually also enables them to have a better mental health mm. and some research is even suggesting that those social or larger types of meaning they're even better for our physical health yeah yeah for instance i've also been working a lot with particularly with cancer patients or dying people and quite often I've been called to actually come and see, and see a particular patient. And after talking with the patient, I've been able to help them actually find some meaning in their life again. And suddenly they continued living much longer than the prognosis from the doctors. That has happened many, many times. And this really shows the power of meaning. And that's a power that we often seem to have lost in, yeah, in the ordinary daily life in, yeah, in our Western countries. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, I've heard about those sort of encounters too, where you, some, you give someone purpose or a sense why they want to live, and they do. That's incredible. Yes. How do we prevent capitalism and capitalist impulses from just swallowing up those, uh, those mindsets of more like Eastern cultures? Because it seems like we're headed in the wrong direction. Capitalism is becoming more globalist yeah how do we prevent it from swallowing us up yeah so 
I'm not totally sure whether, for instance, neoliberalism as an idea is becoming stronger. What I dare to say is that we are really in a very interesting era where things are changing and the neoliberal ideas are starting to really fail. And a lot of companies and a lot of economists start to distrust a lot of the traditional ideas, particularly when you think about the financial and economic crash from 2007 and 2008. After that, people start to think, well, all those economists they may not be like our gods. It's a too simplistic idea. Mm-hmm. So people have started to question a lot of the assumptions that we have about life, how we should live our lives, and about how good material wealth is. So you see that there have been so many books that have been published about the moral economy, about conscious capitalism, about but all those alternatives. So we are really at a point where things are changing. And also many companies, they start to really focus on having a more meaning-oriented company. So that means that the company, for instance, is not having like a very big management level, but much more bottom-up, where people themselves can determine what's meaningful for them as in their role, but also where the products and the services that are offered to, yeah, to customers is also more focused on what's meaningful for them. And also, it's also focused on some larger meanings like our climate crisis, looking at the ecological values. Mm -hmm. So you really see that there is a big, big trend going in that direction. So I'm relatively hopeful in that sense because people start to see, hey, things cannot continue any longer in this way. At the same time, yes, there's still much more that we need to do, that we can do. And I often say that we can make changes in four different ways. Is in the first place, we can try to find some meaning within the system that we currently live. Because we cannot totally change the system on our own, and it's not totally over in one day. And this is very much about trying to find our own moments of meaning within the system. I'll give some more examples about that, actually, uh, a little bit later. But it's very much about trying to... Do those small things that are meaningful for yourself, such as um, being with those friends that are important, helping the other mm-hmm. person that is important. You don't need to overthrow the full system to be able to do that. It starts in your own daily life. So that's the first one that is within the system. The second one is there are people who try to find it outside of the system. And these are people who have like a very romantic idea about going and live outside of the capitalist society. For instance, go and live, for instance, in Thailand or any other places uh, with the idea, well, if I just move there, everything will be much better. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, that can be. Uh, the third option is that people say, well, I'm going to fight directly against the system. So these are all the activists. These are the climate change activists. These are the people who are really looking for all the rights of the workers. These are the people who are trying to fight against all the upcoming racism and all the fascism that's at this moment at this height in the United States and the United Kingdom. Hmm. And finally, and there are people like myself who are trying to develop a new vision about a new society that is meaning-oriented, where that is based on the right of every human being to live a meaningful life and the right to have a meaningful job. And we're not there immediately. So we need to have all the four different ways of trying to find meaning and to create. But I think if all of us are working on that, um, things can really, really change and also quite quickly. 
Yeah, I love that. I love how you do have a sense of perspective about how you can tap into it, but ultimately you're looking for some hybrid of sorts that tries to unify all of these components. I'm really interested in what you said about like focus on the self and how that's like a big problem. Um, it seems like in the world of purpose and passion, uh, there's a lot of talk about self-development, self-improvement, self-growth. What is your opinion on those sort of mindsets? Let's say I don't like the kind of mech-selfization, let's call it that way, to make the self into almost like a McDonald's where you can just go and do something fun. You are just enjoying yourself and you feel great about yourself. But it's just like when you go to the McDonald's and you may have a very nice burger or a not so nice burger, but you will be hungry within half an hour again. So the Mac self is very superficial in that sense. And that's what we see is a lot of people, they think that they can find some meaning, uh, for instance, by going on those retreats very far away in, on an exotic island with a very famous guru. And I think when they've been there, they've done that, that suddenly their full life has changed and everything will be okay. Obviously, things are not that simplistic because it's a full mindset. It's a full life that needs to be changed. Right. However, what is underlying this is a very functionalistic idea about life. And this is possibly the most uh, fundamental issue also in our capitalist system. It is the idea of functionalism, of a very mechanic way of thinking about life. And that's very much about, okay, if I do this, then I find meaning. So only like step one, step two, step three, and then I have meaning for life. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, you can just go to any bookstore, for instance, in the United States, in San Francisco, or also here in the UK. And there are many shelves full of all those self-help books, which are telling seven steps to the most great, amazing life that you may want. Yeah. You know, that's too simplistic. And it becomes almost like a self-obsession. And... What it's really about, what we need to learn, is a different type of self. It's a different type of subject. But it is still about ourselves because we need to change. So it's still about us. But what we need to change is that very simplistic way of thinking about ourselves. And we need to more listen to our intuition. And the term intuition, I use it not in the esoteric, spiritualist uh, type of very fake term, but... Intuition, I use that to say, like, really listen to yourself beyond all the things that we have been indoctrinated with. Really listen to what really matters. So I often compare that with this kind of unpeeling. You know, it's almost like unpeeling. For, for instance, if you have a mango and you get rid of all the outer layers, and these are the layers of all the superficiality, the layers of what we're taught what is meaningful. These are the layers of... Yeah, of the social expectations on Facebook and on Twitter. This, yeah, and also all the layers that we have also created ourselves, things that we think are meaningful for us, which are actually not meaningful. So we get rid of all those outer layers, like in a mango, that we get rid of all the outer layers, and then we can come at the core. Mm -hmm. Or at least possibly it's it, possibly that's not a core. Possibly it's more like an onion, you know, where where you start unpeeling. There's there's no essence. The thing is, I'm pragmatic. I say, well, I don't know whether there's an ultimate truth and an ultimate purpose. I don't know. What I do know is when we start like unpeeling, when we start really critically looking at ourselves, when we start say, asking ourselves, okay, is this is this layer? Is this level? Is this 
truly meaningful for me or not? Right. And that's a very simple question, which we ask, should ask ourselves all the time. It's a quite simple question. If we ask that every time again and again, and we'll make that into a habit, I think we can learn a lot about yeah, what's really meaningful for us. Yeah, that makes sense. But it does, you don't feel like there needs to be an actual essence or source or like basic fundamental stability that we build this purpose upon? Well, the thing is, in our experience, we always have a quite radical difference. So in our experience, for instance, if I give myself as an example, if I'm to speak about meaning and speak about purpose, doing research on it, for me, that's extremely meaningful. And I could not just exchange this for any other type of job. Uh, for instance, suddenly speaking about like any medical issue or anything like that. I cannot change my profession because this is so, so deeply meaningful for me. And that is a very radical and absolute difference in my experience and which I have discovered by analyzing myself and seeing actually like when I'm for instance, speaking with you, how passionate I become. Yeah. And I just observe myself and I, I can see myself and think, yeah, this is really meaningful for me what I'm now doing, speaking about this. Mm -hmm. So there is a core in that sense. However, I don't know whether this core, whether I can say whether this is a universal core or given by God or whether, yeah, possibly this is also the result from my genes to some extent, from my upbringing, from my culture, to some extent that has contributed to it. Mm -hmm. However, all those explanations, they're totally irrelevant. To many people, they have the idea like, if you have an explanation for it, then it's not radical, then it's not absolute, and then you can reduce it, and then it's, it's not truly meaningful. Well, that's a nonsense argument. It's a total nonsense argument. That is like uh, what I call, that's a kind of a map landscape policy. So it's similar to people saying, well, you're speaking about mountains. You feel that there's a difference between being high in the mountains, for instance, speaking about your passion, about meaning, that that is very high, and all the more mundane topics that are more at the foot of the mountain in the valley. But hey, when I have a map, the map is totally flat. So yeah, there is no essence, there is no hierarchy, there is no height there on the map. But then, of course, that's a very clear fallacy. Right. And what I'm saying by this is that, well, to say, is it true? Is it like universally true? Is it metaphysical, ontological, whatever terms you may want to use? That's actually irrelevant. What is relevant is my experience. And in my experience, that difference, that meaning, the meaningfulness, that's very much given. And that is a very clear, absolute given. Right. So I have some questions about some alternative paths that people look for purpose in. A lot of people turn to, recently also there's scientific research about psychedelic drugs as yep. inducing purposeful spiritual experiences that feel deeply impactful to the people that, that do them. Is that every bit as truthful for that person's purpose as a sober understanding? Or are there like dichotomies? You're like, this is a vacation, this is an everyday thing. How do you, how do you view those experiences? So actually recently I was speaking with a researcher who has done a lot of research on all these psychedelics. And he has actually also been looking at psychedelics in the context also of meaning. So we had a very interesting conversation. And what's interesting is actually that using psychedelics, particularly when you use things like ayahuasca or mushrooms, that 
some people experience that it can create some more structural or long-term changes in their lives that feels very meaningful for them. Mm -hmm. And there are many reasons for that. Because what it does is, particularly when you use things like ayahuasca or mushrooms, and I'm not saying that everyone should be using them because it's, it's a very powerful, tough experience, very powerful, but you always should do that only together with experts like those medical doctors who are doing research on this. But the people who have experienced this, they're saying that suddenly what they see is they can see beyond the daily life patterns. They can see beyond the habits. They can see beyond all those capitalist type of narrow mindedness. Mm -hmm. So it, it opens a wider realm of opportunities. And that's important that we become aware of the fact that being a human being is being in possibilities. It is the possibility that we can always change, that actually in each situation we have the ability to change, albeit our own attitude towards the situation, but we always can. But we can find meaning and we can, we can have a bigger perspective. Mm. And seeing that possibly for the first time in our lives, because we've grown up in a country, in a culture where we're not taught to think in that way about our lives, because we're taught about there's only one way of living, and that's this way, in this particular economy, with these habits, with these types of friends. Yeah, it starts in school, for sure. Precisely. And just looking beyond that, that can be so powerful for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. That's been my experience, at least. And then after you have some of those deeper discoveries to build that structural stability on, what are some of like the practices you recommend? I'm thinking about like yoga and prayer, mindful meditation. Like, What do you find are, are working in your life and, and why do they work? Yeah, so the thing is about what works for people is very individual. Um, right. So that's the first thing. So what I've done is I've developed this, this meaning-centered therapy for people. So what I've done is I've looked at all the literature and yeah, at all the previous people who have actually tried to help people to find meaning in their lives. So all the therapists. And I've looked at what works, what doesn't work, etc. And I've been starting to almost like uh, stealing all the best bits of what they've been doing. Mm -hmm. So that I've now actually like developed like a good combination of, uh, how shall I say that? It's a very big toolkit. Possibly that's the best way of saying it. A big toolkit of very effective tools. And some tools works with certain people better at certain times. And also, for instance, with myself better at certain times. One of the things that I do know is one of the most crucial things is not to think too much. So anything that helps us to get out of this mindset of thinking, of rationalizing, of intellectualizing, that is important. Particularly when people, for instance, come to me because they know that I'm an expert on meaning in life and, or I give lectures about it, uh, I write books about it. And people come to me and they start asking about all the big theories about meaning in life. And I'm saying, well, I'm actually not so much interested in the theories about meaning in life. I happen to be an expert on it. However, on a daily life basis, what matters is living a meaningful life. And that's being in a flow. Mm -hmm. And the best way to do that is actually not to be in your mind. But indeed, use mindfulness, use meditation, go into nature. For instance, I love myself, I love hiking. That's just being in nature, I find it important. Oh, yeah. Uh, connect with people, connect with music, connect with beautiful things that are there. So there are many things that can connect us with what's meaningful as long as it's not like reflecting and reflecting and reflecting. Because that's 
Why do you think those things connect us with what's meaningful? What is it that's, that's associated or, or essential about each of those things you just mentioned, nature, meditation, uh, that like connect us to meaning? It is actually that it opens our gates towards our intuition of what's truly meaningful. Huh. So it, it's almost like, yeah, to come back to the metaphor of unpeeling, like a mango or like an onion, the metaphor I used before, is what music does or what going into nature or mindfulness, what it does is it gets rid of some of those outer layers. And also drugs, what you were speaking about, like all the psychedelics, they also get rid of some of those outer layers. Mm-hmm. So that we come some steps closer to what's meaningful to us. Because the thing is like, we have often learned actually to build all those layers around what's meaning, what's truly meaningful. We've learned so many avoidance and denial mechanisms mm-hmm. and we are so much part of so many habits that we really need to break some of those, these, of those levels down to be able to feel again from the inside how it's like to live a meaningful life. Mm-hmm. Because in the end, it's very much about feeling that we're living a meaningful life. So you think we already know what it means to live a meaningful life and that knowing lies in our feelings and our sense of intuition about those feelings. I think so, yes. Yeah. So I, it took myself a long time to really understand this, that it is very much a process about, about reconnecting with what is already there. And it's not like, connecting with a specific meaning, but it's connecting with our flow of experiencing, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's connecting with our feelings and our feelings can say today, well, this is truly meaningful. And possibly in a couple of years time, it may be say, maybe slightly different. For instance, in the past I lived in the Netherlands, but then I felt, well, the United Kingdom is a much better place to live, much more meaningful. And that is so it changed, but that is because I listened to my feelings. My feelings were saying, well, it's important to, to change and to move to the UK. Yeah. So possibly I can use this also in other metaphor. It's a metaphor that I've learned when I was in Africa, because I've been yeah, helping a lot of people to set up some economic developmental projects in some local areas. And the first times when I was there, I was really struggling to understand why are people here so much more happy? What's going on? Yeah. And what I discovered... I could actually only tell that in like a metaphor and it's a metaphor of a river. So imagine that the Western and a non-Western person are standing on one side of the river and at this side of the river, there's a big fire and they need to cross the river. So the Western person sees a boat and he takes the boat and he starts paddling against the current of the river because he thinks, well, I need to go in a straight line to the other side of the river. So he goes in a straight line. But obviously the current is strong, so he's really needs to pedal very hard and, and he's really frustrated and stressed. When he reaches the other side of the river, he's totally exhausted. Mm-hmm. However, the non-Western person, he just looks at the stream. He feels the stream. He looks where the currents are. And he takes his boat, unless the boat actually flow on the river without paddling too much because he's looking at where is the flow going. He's trusting the flow and he lets the flow bringing at the other side. Possibly that took a bit longer time and possibly it brought him at a slightly different place. However, when the non-Western person arrived at the other side of the river, he was not totally stressed out. 
he had enough energy. And when the fire actually came to the other side of the river, the non-Western person still had enough energy to run away from the fire, whereas the Western person was still too, totally exhausted from the paddling against the current. Wow. So this metaphor actually explains for me very much what it is about meaning. And when I used the term before about a functionalist or a mechanistic approach of meaning, it's about this. We are really paddling against the current. We are paddling against the flow of life. And it's very much about trusting our flow of experiencing, trusting what is there, and that it will bring us somewhere. And possibly it may take a bit more time and possibly not precisely in, in the way how we are being taught by our parents or by our bosses or I don't know. But it's a much more meaningful result with much less stress and we will be much more happy. Yeah, this seems like the perfect antidote to anxiety. Anxiety is all about trying to control the future outcomes and obsessing over that. And trusting the flow of experiences is the very opposite. And, um, I also really like the, the space for spontaneity and serendipity that this mindset allows. You have all of these things that there's no way you could have planned for that come into your life that present these really enriching opportunities for you when you are living in like a fully vitality-filled state of being. Yes. So the thing is, actually, I also have one of the exercises that I sometimes tell some people to actually do, particularly people who love to travel a lot. Because often when we go on a holiday, we go with our tour booklet and really try to see everything. And we even possibly beforehand, we can take a map and say where we're going, all the touristic places. So what I sometimes do is when I'm somewhere for two days, for instance, the first day, I'll just try to see all the highlights. I'm, and I'm doing this kind of very functionalist mindset, very efficient, etc. But I'll be totally exhausted. The second day, I leave my booklet at home and I just start walking. Yeah. And sometimes I just end up at the weirdest places in the city. And I often need to use an Uber or a taxi because I get totally lost. But on these days, I discover so much. I get in touch with people. I enjoy the small things that I see that are coming on my path. And those days are actually much more meaningful than seeing all those big tourist highlights. But I think one reason that you're successful at that is you do have a sense of like why you're doing this. I guess like my pushback is if you take someone with a more untrained mind or maybe less discipline towards their own intuition, they're going to fall into addictions and cravings and things that spiral into something that is not what they want. I have that concern. What would you do to prevent people from just like running in circles the way we tend to do like at our work or in our relationships? How do you make sure that they're staying like in a calm flow state and not just being thrown around? Yeah, so obviously this is not a black or white story. And it's very much about learning experiences and it's about growing and step by step. So I've also seen some people who said from one day to another, like, okay, I give up everything. I give up my career. I give up my family and I go traveling. And yeah, but usually with no time, they are in a big, big existential crisis because it's too much. Yeah. So I would never, never recommend that. That's also when I was speaking about the change towards more meaning-oriented society, how we can kind of cope with capitalism, that I was saying the first step actually there is trying to find meaning within the system. It's for that reason. It's like people need structure. People need to nuance. It's also like people need to uh, start building something new. It's also about, it, it's actually also, uh, for instance, Mahatma Gandhi, he said that we need to have a new system before we 
totally get rid of the old system. And I think that Mahatma yeah. Gandhi was totally right. And he was speaking also about the changes in his own country, obviously, when they were going to get rid of the oppression by the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. What he was saying is that it was important for the people to first start building on their own consciousness, that they started to build on their own economy. They started to build some stability before they could really get rid of the old. That was meaningless. That was oppressive. Right. So this is also my advice to people who are now in a situation, they know they need to get out of it. And I would say, well, possibly the revolution does not always go in one go or in one day. It often takes time. Yeah. And it starts by stabilizing yourself, finding meaning within the system, finding some stability for yourself, but new stability, new structures. Hey guys, this is your People of Purpose podcast host, Tanner Badgley. Do you want to get a short email from me? Would you find value in receiving a very short email every other weekend that personalizes your path of purpose? The POP newsletter, because people of purpose, is a very short email where I share with you the most interesting things I've recently discovered, have been thinking about, or implementing into my life each week to more personally and purposefully pursue my purpose. It will include a short update on how my podcast is helping me grow into my purpose, a quote that's been on my mind from a purposeful resource such as a podcast, book, video, or mentor, as well as a nugget of advice from my experience on how to better align and optimize your life for your purpose. And finally, I'll try to share inspiration with you on how one of our listeners is benefiting from people of purpose. So please take a small step of action right now by sending a quick email to peopleofpurposepodcast at gmail.com. You don't even need to write a message. Just include in the subject header, People of Purpose Newsletter, and you'll receive the very next one. Here's to becoming people of purpose. So if you were to design a process that was streamlined to take someone that was very functionalist, very exhausted, resisting the flow of life, and put them in a state of existential appreciation, awareness, acceptance of who they are, finding a flow state on a daily basis, what does that process look like if you were to just design a process for somebody? Yeah, so the thing is, as a therapist, this is often what I do. And also in one of my books is also what I describe, actually, how we as practitioners could help people like that. So often the first place is that people feel some discomfort or unhappiness in their lives. So I would start helping them to be aware of that and take the serious. So I would explore that. I would never impose my ideas on another person. I would also look very much at their readiness. Because it's not possible to really impose on people your ideas about, well, your life isn't meaningful. That will never work. So I would really help them to develop that self-insight where their own unhappiness comes from. Also, I would help people to strengthen particularly those moments that are already meaningful for them. So it's not a black or white story that people are only total functionalist bastards, for instance, or they are total flower power, perfect, happy people. Now, it's not that black or white because people already are engaging in some meaningful moments in their lives. Mm -hmm. So I would explore with them, where do you find meaning? And I would explore with them, do you find meaning in those five different types of meanings that I shared with you before so i would share i would first look at do you find meaning in materialistic and hedonistic things in your in your self in your self-development most likely they would say yes 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 i do and then i would ask them well and what about 
social relationships? What about sense of belonging? What about family? What about helping others? And then also about larger types of meanings and about a sense of humanity, uh, the climate change, etc. sense of justice. So I would really help them to look for examples that reach beyond what they're already doing. But I will not say that I need to get rid of what they're already doing mm -hmm. because this is also one of the things that I'm saying is, well, some materialistic types of meanings can be quite okay. Right. It will be also very almost weird or alien if we would say, well, we are just going to have only one set of clothes or only like our own linen that we wear like Mahatma Gandhi and we get rid of all our earthly belongings. Mm -hmm. uh, for some people that may work. Uh, if that is for them meaningful, great for them. However, I have a gut feeling it won't work for many people. And we don't need to, because we can find meaning in some materialistic things. Like, it is great to, ha to have the possibility, for instance, that we use our computers now with our microphones and our very good headsets, you know. We can have those conversations now, thanks to our material wealth. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing wrong with that. And also, like, hedonism, just enjoying life, enjoying music, enjoying... There's nothing wrong with that, mm -hmm. as it's not only that. Because what most likely, uh, what we see is the people who dominantly focus on those types of meanings, they feel less happy. So they're more often depressed, more often anxious, more often frustrated. Immune system functions with tumors grow quicker, things like that. Mm -hmm. Whereas when people start to focus on the social and the large meanings, everything feels better for them. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's not an either or story. So I would help them to see what else is there next to or parallel to what you're already experiencing as meaningful that's awesome yeah that's amazing i make that really resonates with me so in your life from the research i've been able to do it seems like the punk attitude the punk culture subculture is meaningful to you in your path of purpose could you explain what it is about the punk attitude the punk mindset the punk community that makes you feel such a sense of belonging to your purpose yes so Possibly I can start with a story about actually something that happens quite often. Because in my free time, when I'm not giving lectures or giving interviews or things like that, I can look like quite stereotypical punk with my leather jackets, lots of spikes, my mohawk, etc. So I absolutely do not look like a stereotypical professor or something like that. <laughs> but when I go in the tube, in the underground, and often people start to speak with me and they, and they tell to me, oh man, that's so cool. You look so cool. The thing is, I'm a therapist. So what my next question is and always, why don't you do that? You can also do this. And then I have the most beautiful conversations with people in the tube where I'm actually giving my meaning-centered therapy in the tube about how can you actually live a life? How can you look how you want to look like? Because... Punk is very much about that. Punk is actually about authenticity. It's about doing what's meaningful. And also sharing that with others and showing to others the value of doing what's meaningful for you. And yes, of course, I know that I don't look in the stereotypical way as people would expect from someone in my position in my career. Of course, I know that people look at me in the tube. However, this is something I like. It's something I like to share. It's a, I'm, and I feel part of community, a sense of belonging. And so 
what it is about is very much about a sense of freedom, sense of authenticity. But they've also done quite a lot of research on the punk culture. So the full punk culture started at the end of the 70s. And it was like a big resistance towards a lot of the conservative values that were there at the time. The idea that you must live your life in the way that you're being told. You know, coming from the 50s and the 60s, they're saying, no, you can live a much more meaningful life. That is much more about yeah, freedom, meaningful community, etc. So what this research has shown is that people from the punk cultures, they are the most authentic subculture that exists much more than hip hoppers or goths or any other type of subcultures because the punk attitude is very much about that. So I often summarize the punk attitude with a brief ABC. So punk is about authenticity, be yourself, creative counterculture, uh, DIY, so do it yourself, empowerment, fighting narrow mindedness, getting together and having fun. So this is what for me punk is about. And this is also how it connects with meaning. In the end, it's about the same type of mindset. And it's this mindset that is so much needed in our society nowadays mm -hmm. because people suffer so much from mental health. Then I believe that actually punk can really help people to loosen a bit and to, yeah, to find out for themselves what's meaningful. And that's just also why I run this charity that's called Punk for Mental Health. And we organize a lot of concerts, art exhibitions, workshops, lectures, which is all about the punk attitude and how that can be helpful mm. to live a more meaningful life. And in that sense, also yeah, improve our mental health. How can people contribute to Punk for Mental Health? If, they really, if this community resonates with them and they want to be a part of your charity, what, what kind of avenues do people have to contribute? We have loads of events that are going on. So also at the 22nd of March uh, and also later in July, we have some events uh, here in London. Mm -hmm. Although we are also now looking at uh, organizing more events as well uh, elsewhere in the United Kingdom and also abroad like Berlin, Ireland, etc. Because a lot of people, they see what we're doing. They really feel at home. They feel welcome. So what people can do is, in the first place, just come to our events and just have a great time. Or follow us on Facebook, for instance, Punk for Mental Health, it's called. Uh, or on our website, that is p4mh.com. Mm -hmm. So these are examples where people can contribute. But also people can also organize their own events, their own yeah, punk events with this attitude. We are very happy to help with that. Was there a point in which, like, was punk, like, your first big avenue into finding a sense of purpose? Or how did you, as a young boy, how did you, like, recognize, like, oh, there's a lot of, of issues with this functionalist, like, capitalist syndrome mindset. How am I going to find my authenticity and social, like, meaning? Yeah, like, what was that transition? Like, was punk, did, it, did punk play a role in that? No, actually, it was not punk, uh, although... I have to say, like, this punk attitude has always been with me. But it was only when I moved here to the UK that the full punk look, the full punk style actually came to me. Because mm -hmm. originally I'm from the Netherlands, where there's actually no punk culture at all. Possibly a handful of people. But the thing is, when I arrived here in the UK, here in London, tens of thousands of people like me. And I felt, I felt so much at home. I felt I had finally found my family. In that sense, it was only when I moved to the UK that I actually 
started to identify and look more like mm-hmm. but in my younger years in my childhood i've always been quite critical about society about what we believe is meaningful and what we're being told i've always been politically very active for instance already like during my teenage years i've been in several african countries to help people with their situation they had there, because helping at several orphanages and things like that. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, retrospectively, I can see that I, it was a bit paternalistic and a bit arrogant, thinking that I, as being a teenager, could help people in Africa, and I know it much better than all those wise people there. But at the time, it exposed me to a lot of new ideas. So they have taught me a lot. Those people, in, they've shared their wisdom with me when I was a young kid. So that was really great experiences that have shaped my mind very much. Like the metaphor of the river, that was a metaphor that I developed, I think, when I was 18 years old and it was in Uganda. And I was really having almost like a mental breakdown. And the mental breakdown was not about poverty or the sadness of the people. My mental breakdown was about the happiness of the people. You wanted that and you didn't, weren't finding that in your culture? Precisely, that I was thinking there's something so wrong in the way how we usually think about society. But also so many of the models that were also being told, for instance, also in my study psychology. When I studied psychology, they were often speaking about the hierarchy of Maslow and where they're saying that first you have like some of, of the, the lowest levels that the first conditions that needs to be fulfilled they are about yeah having a roof over your head and having food etc when these are fulfilled then you need to have a more social uh, positive situation and after that finally you can do something that's more mean truly meaningful for you for yourself and you can realize your potential mm-hmm. however when I was in Africa, in those countries, what I discovered is that the opposite is true for those people there. This model doesn't work there because I actually sat down with those boys and girls, 10 years, nine years old they were, and I asked them, what keeps you going? Why do you get out of your bed each morning and try to find for food on the street? Why do you start begging for food? And I was this young boy and he said, well, I'm doing this for my sister, my younger sister. I want her to survive. Another girl was saying, I want to become the first female president of Uganda. That's why I'm trying to now survive. And another one had something else that he was saying. So what I was seeing is like their lives was already full of purpose and meaning without first needing all those luxury uh, and materialistic things that we think that we need in the West. The thing is, you can always find meaning. And it's actually the meaning that helps you go. It's the meaning that drives you actually go forward in those difficult moments in life. Mm-hmm. And having seen that, having seen their drives, having seen their motivation, that's so unconditional, that's not depending on needing this or needing that, needing the latest iPhone, or that we need all the great social likes on our Facebook, that we need all of that to be able to feel okay. No, they didn't need, they were, they already knew what was meaningful. And that really was like a big eye-opener for me that I realized, well, yeah, what's the way how we're living in the West is really, really weird. And that kind of determined my, my direction in life, possibly even. And that's what I'm dedicating my work um wow that's a great answer i love how 
you can really like pinpoint it to these exact conversations that you had in Uganda when you're 18 years old. What advice do you have for for people to take these sort of like risks or these leaps of faith and go into an entirely different environment? How do you convince somebody to do that? Does it have to be an inner calling already for them or can you completely disrupt um, what they, the path that they're on? I don't know what I'm asking. Yeah, so it's very much what I was saying before as well about yeah, the importance of listening to their own sense of unhappiness, their own sense mm-hmm. of discomfort or not total satisfaction in their life. I really take it serious. But at the same time, possibly not totally give up everything at once, but also look at what is already meaningful, what's already there. And this can be the small moments. So I often give an example of a bird. For instance, when you're just, for instance, when you're walking towards your work, for instance, I suddenly hear that one bird in the park. Listen to it. Stop. Stand still. Listen. Enjoy. That is already a moment of, that is very meaningful. And stand still. Become aware of it. So one of the things that I often give as a very simple exercise is at the end of every day, write down in your diary three moments that were meaningful that day. It is very much about becoming aware of what is already there, what is already meaningful. Mm -hmm. And when you are keeping the diary, when you are becoming more aware of it, at one point you start to see some trends. For instance, when I was doing that for myself, I started to really see that it's often for me nature. When When I am connecting with nature, then I feel really happy, then I feel meaningful. So I know when I that once in a while I really need to go for a long hike. I need to go a weekend away in nature, etc. Or absolutely also that I just go on my own into the Amazon. You know, mm-hmm. for me that is meaningful because that's what I've discovered from listening and just looking at what is already there and going from there and and not inventing something new. Right. Yeah. I love that. I want to start wrapping up the interview just because people's attention span may not be as long as mine is or yours is around these topics. So I wanted to ask you like kind of a series of maybe three or four questions um, with like some short answers. Okay. 20 20 or 30 seconds. um, And then we'll... I'll do my best to be short. (laughs) Okay. Um, So if you could like call your, your, um, let's say your teenage self, your 15 year old self and leave a voicemail for 30 seconds, what would you say to him? I would say to him, trust the path that you're already on. Trust your intuition and your experiences. Be connected with the people around you. Take them very serious. But at the same time, listen to that inner calling that is already there. Nice. What's something that people don't know about you that would surprise even your closest friends? I'm usually already such an open book. So people usually already know it. But... Yeah, possibly just what I said about how much I love going into rainforests, uh, preferably on my own. That has been like one of my biggest highlights in my life. That was to spend like four days on my own in the Amazon rainforest, only with machete, having to survive wow. with all the animals, a jaguar that I met there in real life, the having to catch my own fish, things like that. That was, wow, that was an immense experience. And that's also why... I really hope that we can actually experience much more rainforest for much longer and that is not being chopped down by the presidents in Brazil, British Guiana and Venezuela. Wow, I need to experience that. That's so cool. 
And then what's a question you wish people asked you more? What is your passion? Okay. And that's also the question that I usually ask to people. What is your passion? So when I'm, for instance, at like at a drink where, or even like in a pub and I meet someone for the first time, I really try to ask that question. What is your passion? That's such a beautiful question. It's such a good conversation or opener. Yeah, it is. I can recommend that one. And then especially if that person says going in the rainforest and living with my machete, I'm like, whoa, this is not the average. Yes, yes they have a story. Yes, that's true. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, thank you very much for this interview. Uh, it was, yeah, it's really beautiful to hear all these metaphors you have um, to explain things. I think that's a, a unique point that, you, that you're able to do. Like you have a gift in communicating these complex ideas in a way that's relatable um, across intellect and culture and age and level of experience. And I think that's something that probably makes you very successful as a teacher and a psychotherapist and in your um, all these life endeavors. So it's really been a gift and a privilege to get to spend this time with you. Thank you very much. But it's not my aim to be successful, but to be meaningful. Yeah, I believe you were. I believe that we have a meaningful interview <laughs> to share with people. And I hope to meet you yeah, in I'm person soon at that, uh, at that conference. I would love to make it there in London. It'll be my first time ever to go to London. Yeah, that would be really great. If you could come to the Meaning Conference in London that I'm organizing from the 12th to the 14th of July yeah, here in London, because there will be so many big uh, names and very inspiring and very meaningful uh, speakers there. Uh, actually, also like Mike Steger, um, who has also been... Uh, in one of your uh, podcasts, he will also be there, but many others as well. And I'm so excited, but um, I'm also excited because I see that so many people at this moment really believing in the importance of meaning, doing more research about it and sharing that with people. And that's what I'm seeing, that there's such a big growing community on this. And, yeah, and that's like a big highlight in July. So I hope that you will come, and that many others will also come as well. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Do you have any final message to leave people with before you sign off? Yeah, there's so many things that I could say, obviously. But yeah, the main thing is just ask yourself the question, what is meaningful? And open your eyes, your ears, your nose, your mouth, your tastes, your, your, your felt sense. And just, just be aware of, of what is meaningful and what's not meaningful and stay faithful to that, to that flow of experiencing with all your different senses and yeah, take this serious. And when you feel that you're not totally happy in your life, does it possibly have to do with you not totally following what's truly meaningful for yourself and what small changes could you make to make it a bit more meaningful? Thank you so much. So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question or something you want help working through? Do you need support in doing what it's going to take to live your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our wonderful guests. Do you have any friends that might enjoy this episode or the podcast? Bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. If you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, as well as the purposeful people and communities I'm a part of around the world, Follow the podcasting journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast. You can connect with our purpose-seeking community on Facebook at People of Purpose by liking and following our page. Know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose opportunities, 
and receive regular tidbits of inspiration and media I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me, to nourish your personal path of purpose. For the ultimate engagement, join our intentional group Purpose Seekers from the Facebook page. Join in longer form discussions, link up with accountability partners, and share in opportunities and challenges to better know and grow in your purpose. Send me a direct message on either Facebook or Instagram if you want to talk privately and receive personalized guidance on how to raise your sales and write your ship. Come forth with your biggest dreams and aspirations, and I will do my best to connect you with the necessary resources and mentors from my network to start your trek along your personal path of purpose. Cheers, and here's to becoming 